Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Menes. Joining me this week, Jaleesa Apps. How are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. Great to have you. And Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome. How are you? I'm good as well. So lots to get through in this episode. I'm fired up. I don't know why, but I woke up fired up. So it's all this cricket. I had a lot of cricket on the weekend, so it just... Gets, gets the juices going, but we're going to wrap up the big, big Bash final. We're going to get stuck into all the cricket headlines. Then we've got a feature interview with Hall of Famer, Swervin Mervyn Hughes. Then we've got some viewer mail, and we're going to bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. And I think we're in for a long show because next week we're taking the week off. So this episode is jam-packed with stuff. But let's get straight into the biggest match of the last week. The Big Bash final was played at the SCG. And the Sixers are the BBL champions beating the Scorchers in the final. It was their third title. It was a pretty convincing victory in the end by the Sixers. They made six for 188. And in reply, Perth made nine for 161. Jaleesa, you were there on the evening. What did you think of the final? Oh, it was the best atmosphere, I have to say, of a sporting event that I've been to in a really long time. And I go to quite a lot of live sport in my job and just in my personal life. Um, And it was honestly the best atmosphere. I went, I took uh, five friends who are a mix of cricket tragics to casual observers who had no idea what was 
you know, coming. Did a lot of those go to the Big Bash? And I have to say, they ju- everyone just got so into it. The crowd was so into it. I have to mention my friend. So I took to two of my friends. I took one of my friends, Amy, and one of my friends, Tiffany, and I'm sure they won't mind me telling all this. Amy is really into cricket, so she was all into embracing like everything. Tiffy is not as much into cricket, but she's into life. And so on the <laughs> so she's a great person to take. But on the way there, she was just really excited. But she said to me, So who's playing? <laughs> and and then by the end of it, she was just so wrapped in it. She asked what other games we could go to. But, but that's what Alistair Dobson and the Big Bash organisers say. It's it's the this, shop front and it, you've just displayed it right there. Exactly. And so she was asking me, you know, about all the players and where they're from and who's been going well. And she she fully got into it and I thought that was she was just the most perfect example of what the Big Bash is aimed at. Because then she was asking what other games could we go to and I said, well, <laughs> no, unfo- this is the final. I said unfortunately, Tiffy, there's only <laughs> Sheffield Shield left. <laughs> that would be <laughs> She said, well, a bit you, different. You know, let's go to that. <laughs> take, it, take it to the members and you and like 20 old blokes watching the Shield. <laughs> exactly, which Amy and I do actually have been known to go to the Sheffield Shield. So we will take Tiffy along. But then I had um, someone else who was uh, a little bit of a Big Bash sceptic. He also really got into it. And then one of my other friends who he was he was very much into Good. it. So it was a great I loved night. at the end, uh, towards the end of the Perth Scorchers innings, when it was clear the Sixers were going to lift the title. Because last year when the Sixers won at home, it was a very damp squibbin of an affair. And there weren't many people in the ground, maybe around 10,000, whereas... This time there was almost 30,000. It was rocking. Uh, you could just feel the intensity. As you say, it was just wonderful. Yeah, it just sounds great. I wish I, wish I went now. I was, I, was, I was thinking of going and then I didn't end up going. And I was kind of like the commentators because the commentators were in Melbourne on Channel 7 anyway in the studio. And they kept on talking to Slater who was there saying, the atmosphere sounds incredible. And uh, it's a, it's been a while probably since the SCG for cricket had that sort of atmosphere. Because mm-hmm. often with the test matches the and the one day as the – the fans are very much split when India are in, especially if England's in. It's half the crowd supporting one team, half the crowd supporting the other. So, oh, that's really oh, that story, Jalisa, about your friend getting into it. Oh, that's I feel like um, you know those evil men in the nineteen fifties when they got kids into smoking. Um, <laughs> I feel like that that's that's what the Big Bash does for cricket, but in a wonderful way. That's like you know they they're getting new people in uh, to the sport. Oh, that's a that's a, that's a glorious story. I, I don't think cricket gives you cancer though. No, that's that's the, one of the big differences. Uh, <laughs> We're not sure, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. M- might have done some of those the old stress, club- maybe. some of those old clubhouses. I'm sure there was some asbestos. Yeah. Anyway, uh, James Vince in the final, uh, the English opener was player of the final. He made 95 off 60. It was a lot of drama because he was uh, obviously in that uh, moment in the qualifier against the Scorchers, where he remained not out on 96. So, uh, yeah, he made 95. Um, it w- there was some contributions, but he was the main one. And in reply, I thought the Scorchers were kind of in it until around the power surge. And then uh, just when they needed to launch, they just couldn't get going. There was a point, I think, that they probably would have clicked over briefly into being favourites that, that just started to look, oh, they're going to chase this down. But you're right. And then it was Dwarshus, wasn't it? It came on um, two quick wickets and snuffed them out. It was quite interesting in commentary because... Ponting, who I think is just about the best commentator, sort of said, well, there's no way they're going to give Dwarshus the power surge over. Um, and to which point they suddenly said, well, actually, no, <laughs> he's about to yeah. bowl it. And he, he got a bit of a shock. Two wickets. Um, well done. What a, what a performance in a, in a, in a, at a clutch moment. Yeah, Dwarshus is a very good bowler in those 
closing overs um, mm. and he's done really well. So he took three for 37. Dan Christian, two for 25. Jackson Bird, three overs, two for 14. Um, Stephen O'Keefe, four overs, none for 26. Just over a run. Amazing. Um, I think all through the tournament, O'Keefe had very economical figures. Um, and, and just going back, um, since the last podcast, Perth beat Brisbane to earn the spot in the final. Uh, Perth smashed one for 189 off 18.1 overs. And then the Heat made nine for 150 in reply. Their target was actually set at 200 because the lost overs in the Scorchers innings. Um, so really good performance by the Heat, I guess, to get that far after you look at their, their start in their competition. But there's, I don't think there's any doubt that the Sixers were, throughout the whole comp, the best team. Yeah, and I think the Scorchers were the second best. So it was um, it was a fitting ending. I think a, a stat for you, Manners and, and Jaleesa, this now means that there's never been an instance in history where someone has come on to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast in the lead-up to the Big Bash final and not been player of the match in the final. Well, oh, we're one really? for one. One for one, <laughs> James Vince. One for one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think, I think I we might have inspired him. <laughs> I think we inspired him. So, um, and you brought up the stat from last week about the sort of the wins that the Scorchers and the Sixers mm. have. So they both now have three titles. And uh, as far as wins go, your stat was just on regular season games. So they're yep. still locked in regular season games. From memory, it was, they've each had 56 wins in the regular season and now three titles. And the Stars, 55 wins and no titles. So the three teams that have dominated and um, two of them have had um, good outcomes. Well, if you listen to my package on nine the next night, I call them the most successful team in the BBL and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I agree with you. I love the Sixers. I'm trying to be neutral, but... The fact that I don't like the Thunder and I love the Sixers, I think, puts a rest to that oh, see, theory. I like, the, I like the Thunder. I would have liked to see the You thunder like everyone, Jaleesa. I know. It needs to be someone like that on every podcast, don't <laughs> no, worry. No, that's Paul. <laughs> no, no, I'm quite neutral, I think. I think I like, yeah. Uh, it was, I just, the celebrations were quite funny. So this see. is what I want to go through. So I was commentating on some Premier Cricket on Sunday and Jack Edwards, the Sixers squad member, he's out there batting and he's he's batting really <laughs> well. He's almost 50. I take a break in the com box and I look on my phone and there's a picture of there's a, an Instagram post from Dan Christian from about 5.30 in the morning near the Harbour Bridge mm. um, of them lifting the trophy near the bridge. And <laughs> um, and then I look up and Jack Edwards is in the Instagram video at 6 in the morning and he's batting and it's like 10.30 in the morning. So <laughs> to be young. gone straight from the, <laughs> the partying into the middle and made 92. So that's an effort in stamina. And I think one thing that happened with the celebrations is because the Aussie team was going – uh, to New Zealand so the next day, they still had to stay in the hub for the celebration. So right. that's why you saw those pictures of them by the bridge because they couldn't have friends, they couldn't have family. Uh, I, I think that's a nice way to celebrate. But Moses also said the next day, um, which he was looking quite fresh actually, but he said that someone kept their spikes on the whole time. Wouldn't say who it was, but uh, said they, they kept the spikes on the whole, uh, didn't even get out of them. Well, Steve War tells a story about when they won in the West Indies in 1995. He went to his hotel room like a day later and he still had his spikes and baggy green on. So, <laughs> When I used to pay for the Coogee Bay Hotel Rebels in park cricket, they used to talk about legendary premierships of years gone by when the team would win on the, on a Sunday and that there'd be some bloke out still drinking, still in his whites on the Wednesday. Well, I think I saw Dan Christian put up an Instagram and I'm – I think I saw it Monday night. They were him, he, and um, 
Daniel Hughes and Sean Abbott were still out Monday night. So. Well, they went down to the Coogee Pavilion on Sunday and kept going. Yeah. So they might still be going. I know they might still to be play going. Some <laughs> cricket in the next few days. Yeah, great, great. Just revelation to just get on, get Dan Christian on board. He, uh, he what a signing. He was trade of the tournament and probably a little underutilized in. Previous years and just uh, they really saw his potential and I hope Sock goes around again too. I think he's still got a bit left in him. For sure. I mean, I think that the two of them, the, the, they're absolutely um, superb and they could go around for for a few years more. I've I've gone on and on about Christian at any opportunity. So yeah, I'm, I've become a massive fan of his. Just back on the celebrations. I I don't know if you guys have heard of the story of years ago when Darren Lehman was playing for Yorkshire. And I think they hadn't won for ages and Yorkshire are kind of like the New South Wales of English cricket that they, they, they normally win. But they hadn't won for ages. They won the county championship off the back of uh, Darren Lehman just batting like Bradman for a season. And the day after they won, they had a one-dayer. And so they went out all night, all morning, and then turned up to the one-day game, kind of still in celebration <laughs> mode. And then Darren Lehman kind of walked in, uh, put his pads on because he was opening the batting or batting number three and said, uh, all right, guys, this is going to be fun. Picked up his helmet, saw it still full of beer, drank the beer out of his helmet, put the helmet on and went out and got a score that would, it was like a score from 20 years into the future. Like he got like a hundred and he got 210 off 90 balls or something that back in the 1990s just was yeah. the laws of physics. And it was just like the, the best innings ever played. And everyone was watching thinking, Whoa, this guy is still drunk. And he's doing this. <laughs> Not that we condone, of course. <laughs> no. Now, Paul, you've put together some stats from the tournament. You'd like to go through the stats, man, the numbers, man, numbers, man, Dennett. Well, you made a good point the other week when I put some stats in that I'd probably gone a little bit um, – I'd allowed a few players in that maybe hadn't scored enough runs for it to be a, a sample size. So for, for looking at the best batter for the tournament, I said let's keep it at minimum 250 runs. That's the first hurdle you've got to jump. Next hurdle, you have to have a minimum average of 30 and a minimum strike rate of 140. So some arbitrary figures there, but I you know, felt like it was okay. And that left 13 players. So in, in reverse order – Inglis, strike rate of 140, Weatherald 141, Stoinis 142, Maxwell 144, and Vince 144, Silk 145, Mitchell Marsh 148, Philippi 149, Dave 153, Lynn 155, Cutting 156, and then a massive gap of six runs to Alex Hale's second best, strike rate of 162. Oh, and then a gap of 21 to Dan Christian, best strike rate of 183 with an average of 34, if you don't mind. And he can't get in Australia's World Cup side because the selectors are crazy. Four players from the sixes in that list. Dominating. No wonder they won the tournament. Now bowlers. Yeah, so for I did a couple here, and I'll go through these quickly, that I thought one I'll look in terms of economy rate. Um, and so anyone with economy rate of under 7.5 uh, who bowled at least 25 overs, bottom going upwards, Siddle, Wildermuth, Bird, Briggs, Zampa, Worrell, Wazim, Berendorf, Zahir Khan. Then in third place, Steve O'Keefe, 6.93. That's equal with Khan, actually. Rashid Khan, 6.87. And Majib, 6.2. Two six, the very best economy rate. So once again, as we've talked about before, spinners absolutely dominating. And then strike rate. You still want to get um, bowlers who take wickets. And so the very best strike rates, I'll just read out the top five. Tanvir Sanger, 13.5. Majib, 12.8. So he's in both lists. Richardson, 12.7. Coulter Nile, 11.9. And Bend Dwarshus with 11.3. So that means he's taking a wicket once every 11.3 balls. Uh, I didn't read out the full strike rate list, but those who are on both lists were Majib, Rashid Khan, Zampa and Siddle. So fantastic bowling tournaments for those four. Jaleesa, did you enjoy those stats? 
Oh, yeah, I love Paul's stats. I'm a stats nerd. Now, I've got some stats as well. So it was actually the most watched BBL tournament in history. An average audience of over 1.4 million watched the final, uh, which is a, represented a 15% increase on the final last year. Um, and, the, and it was the fourth most watched BBL game ever. Uh, the total audience of the five-game final series was 5.64 million. 5.64 million, that's an increase of 15% on last season. The average audience per match in the BBL was 735k per game and it remains the most watched sporting league in Australia on a per game basis. Football codes, if you're listening, cricket still dominates. The linear TV audience was 675k, which is 9k higher than um, KFC BBL nine. So the viewing figures are tremendous. And the one that stood out for me was that it was also the highest scoring tournament. The average first innings was 168.1 and that's up from 165 set in BBL 06. So it's the, the highest average, um, scoring tournament. So fantastic. I can't, yeah. I can't remember the last time either that I had to wait on, I had to wait for a second release of tickets for a final to a sporting match. I mean, taking out the AFL because you're just impossible to get tickets to the final of that. But I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually had to sit and keep refreshing my browser to try and get tickets. Yeah, you'd think someone in the media like you would have an in, no? Oh, you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are good figures. And I loved the tournament. I think it was a really successful tournament in high, highly trying circumstances. But I suppose you've got to also look at it from the other point of view and say, yeah, maybe it's the most watched ever, but it's because it's the 61-game tournament. Back in the – not that long ago when they were having uh, the slightly shorter tournament, they were getting more like a million viewers per game. So it's still not back at the heights that it was, um, you know, three or four years ago. But I think it's fair enough to say that if four years ago it was at its peak and three years ago it was roughly the same and then it has declined, I think that this last season has represented a probably a, an uptick back – into the right direction, but mm. still not at the heights it was years ago. And I, I, you know, I love the tournament, and I think that it's um, it was a great success. But you know, they're going to release talking points that are favourable to them, and I think that you got to have a little bit of scepticism about them. Well, that was our wrap of the Big Bash final for this season. We're going to take our first break, then we'll be back with all the cricket headlines. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul. And it's Cricket Headlines time. And the first headline, well, they've updated the domestic cricket schedule. So there's been some changes to the Sheffield Shield. It's been moved back from, cut back from nine rounds to eight rounds now. So it's normally a 10-round competition. Then there were some problems in the bubble in Adelaide. So it was put back to nine rounds and now it's been put back one more round. And that's just taking into account sort of the extra demands on the players and the staff around cricket and the fact that um, they just need to... get the season done, I think. So it's going to be eight rounds and the, the Marsh... 50-over one-day domestic cup will just be a five-round competition. So I guess every team will play each other once and then there'll be a final. 
Uh, but the big news to come out is that Pat Cummins has been announced as skipper of the New South Wales domestic 50 overside. So we'll we'll get to see what Cummins does as a captain, and I'm really curious. Yeah, you've been advocating this for a while, so congratulations, men, as your influence grows. Um, but I, I think it's a good idea as well. You might as well give him a chance to see what he can do. I'm happy with it. Good. Jaleesa's is happy. All right. Now, um, Paul, do you want to go through the test from India? Yeah. I mean, we talked about last week how it was going to be the, the first test match shown on English uh, free-to-air TV or terrestrial TV, as they call it for some reason, since 2005. And uh, England had a, a famous victory. Um, the <laughs> To your point, Jaleesa, early on about your friend getting into it for the first time, I hope she probably didn't switch on and watch this test match because there was a lot of um, fairly attritional cricket in the first couple of days. I uh, think we can safely say she didn't. I, I, I thought that might be the case. Um, <laughs> but, um, it, it, you know, it was a slow burn. But in the end, if you were an English fan and watched it all, I think it would have been a, 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 pretty, a pretty good watch. England mammoth t- total of 578. Joe Root, 218. So he's had a beginning of 2021 that's epic. He scored 228 and 1 uh, against Sri Lanka, 186 and 11 in their next test, and then 218 and 40 against India. So he scored 684 runs at an average of 114 this year, which includes two runouts and a slog when he was batting with number 11. So he's in career best form. India, 337 in reply. England 178, setting England setting India a mammoth uh, 420 odd to win, and they could only make 192. So England won by 227 runs, uh, a famous victory in the subcontinent for them. You're right, Dom Sibley. I mean, he is just the most boring player to watch, <laughs> but he's effective. I mean, he, he he occupied a lot of time, and we've seen how important that can be in Test cricket just to wear the opposition out. Uh, he wore me out watching him, Dom Sibley. So I hope he doesn't come on the Ashes too next year just he'll turn kids away from cricket but um what struck me was the last day was there was an over jimmy anderson bold Mm. where he got two wickets and had a a close lbw turned down but he was making the ball talk i mean it was incredible bowling an incredible display of skill and they've they've showed his record since before 30 and after 30 and after 30 he's without Doubt one of the greatest bowlers of our time. Before 30, his stats show he was an average bowler, but quite incredible. And, you know, in the same week that Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, mm. um, Jimmy Anderson does it at 40-odd. At I mean, it's it's doing wonders for the image of ageing athletes. And Serena Williams is through for the first round of the... She, she hasn't won it yet, okay? <laughs> um, I, I, this, this goes to exactly what Paul and I were talking about last week with our frustrations that cricket is, has this obsession with age because... Anderson is arguably in the best form at the moment and certainly that over's being called potentially the best over in test cricket. So I, how you can sort of doubt that he's going to maybe be here for the ashes, that he's going to play against us for the ashes in, is insane. Yeah, it was, just, it was just an amazing performance. Reminds me of that. They used to talk about this over that um, Michael Holding bowled to Jeff Boycott and there's no real footage of it because it's kind of the last – tour that England ever took place that wasn't kind of covered on any form of television. It was in the West Indies and um, Boycott, I think, got five absolute 
unplayable balls, mixture of bounces and Yorkers that he somehow managed to keep out. And then the last ball uh, sent his off stump cartwheeling out of the ground. Everyone said that's possibly the best over in um, in history in the history of Test cricket. It'd be great if you could line them up because this was obviously very much different. It was reverse swing and incisive bowling from Anderson out of compared to absolute pure hostility from holding to one of the most difficult batsmen to get out at the time. So, yeah, good on him. Um, and uh, long may he continue. So, famous victory for England, but it wasn't the most famous victory of the last week in Test cricket because we quite possibly have seen the greatest Test taboo in history in the last week. So, Bangladesh are hosting the West Indies and basically the whole West Indies first team is unavailable. Most of the players are unavailable. There's some there. And it, it got down to a situation where the West Indies needed 395 runs to win the Test match. And they were two for 48, they were three for 59, and it looked like it was going to be a pretty easy victory for Bangladesh. Bowling on the last day in their conditions, their spinners would just run through the West Indies. Well, Kyle Mayers, remember the name, Kyle Mayers. He smashed 210 not out of 310 balls with 24s and 7 sixes, and the West Indies... Won the test by three wickets. It's the highest ever fourth innings chase in Asia by any team. And uh, you look at the chases from India at the Gab. You look at the chase from India at the Gabba. This was even better. And uh, just a phenomenal performance. And Mayers did it all himself at the end. The run rate was getting up to five runs, six runs required and over. And he just went ballistic. So uh, Kyle Mayers, remember that name, Testaboo, 210 not out. One of the things that I love about Test cricket is the the epic scope of the history. And at, to your point that that could be the greatest debut innings of all time, you may well be right. And you could almost make an argument right now that if that's roughly the last Test match that's ever been played up till now, um, that the the best two debuts in history were in the very first Test match, 144 years ago, Bannerman. and this most recent Test match. So Bannerman scoring 165, retired hurt, out of a total of 245, so he scored all but 80 runs. To this day, the most, the highest percentage of a team's total that's ever been scored in the history of Test cricket. So there you go, bookending 143 years, maybe the two <laughs> best debuts in history. That's just, um, that's just glorious. Yeah, phenomenal stuff. If you haven't seen them, go and find the highlights on YouTube of Kyle May- Mayer's 210 not out. Now, Paul, you've got um, some topics around DRS. A lot of topics, a lot of. Um, Criticism this year of the lack of DRS in the Big Bash, and it felt to me like a kind of a critical mass of criticism had been reached, that in previous years they'd been able to deflect it and say it's all just summer fun, but now this year everyone's been saying it's time for DRS. I must be the only person disagreeing. You're the only person I've heard that doesn't want DRS. I don't want DRS. But what what is it like for you then? You're sitting on the couch, Jaleesa, and there's a, a shocker of a decision by the umpire. Say Glenn Maxwell's given his marching orders. You don't get to see Maxie bat and his huge inside edge and giving out LBW. Don't you think they should fix that? No, I don't because I just think it's a different game. It's I don't think that we need to slow the game up anymore because Big Bash is meant to be fast. It's meant to be for my friend like Tiffy who is not the biggest cricket fan but will go for the entertainment and enjoys the spectacle. I don't want to slow it up. It's, it's you know, 
we can't den- deny the Big Bash is not the most serious competition in the world. We don't have to pretend it is and we don't have to start slowing things up. I don't care if I don't see Maxwell bat once in, in a game because he got a shit decision. And also I actually think sometimes the shitty decisions uh, make a bit of drama and they make a bit of interest around, oh, and remember like that happened last time those two teams played and blah, blah, blah. Like it's not the worst thing in the world when you get a shocker. My, my issue is – more around the, the look of the game. The fact is there's all these cameras trained on the action. So you, it will you, slow you might, up what is you, meant to be a quick but game. You, if you have an obviously bad decision and everyone can see it except the umpire, it just seems to take away from the game. And in a way it undermines it for me. What will happen is you'll end up – and I'm not a fan of constantly going to the – you know, constantly going to the bunker in rugby league either. You end, you'll end up overusing either it. Either my, I take the bunker. You, yeah, exactly, because you've seen it overused, right? Yeah, that yeah. you don't see any And they decisions. get so many of those tries wrong. You, you see, I'm not buying into your shit. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm just ignoring you again. Um, but you, you see it's so overused and that's what will happen and it's not in the spirit of the big bash to have this completely delayed game all the time because they're going to review every bloody thing. Like I can't, I can't be bothered with it. I want... What, what do you think game. about though? Then we had we've seen absolute shockers. Yeah, I but so straight in the India v England test, they have the no ball system being called by um, the umpire, the third umpire, and they let out this siren if there's a no ball. Mm. I'm not even going to try and do it, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty earwormy, annoying um, noise. But what yeah. if they just had you know a siren and you know someone's given out, he's sort of trudging off. They probably tell the batters, look, slow down a bit to give them time to have a look and then just hits the siren and, the, you know, there's obviously a mistake being made no. and he goes back. No. It's but wouldn't be, wouldn't your friend you know what, Tiff be like, oh, what's the siren for? Well, yeah, exactly. Be, what's like, the siren she'd for? She'd be so excited. Exactly. They no, she'd be like, what's the siren for? Hang on. So each batter could pick their own, so like, he's save coming, track. So he's coming back and then I'm sitting there explaining why old mate isn't out when he was given out and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I just want – I just don't see the need to have everything perfect. Mm. I just see – it is what it is. It, look, you're I in the lo- minority. I like it in test match cricket because you're in for a long day. You're, you know what you're getting into. This is not in the spirit of the Big Bash. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'd agree with you, except for one thing. And the one thing is that DRS is the most entertaining feature of the entire sport. <laughs> that The bit where you're for watching... You, no, no, no. you. I, I agree it can go on I too long. I can't wait till <clears> the last <throat> wicket loses its total climax because we're sitting there waiting to see if it's actually out or not. Great. Woo. Gains because of the fact that... I've said it so many times. You go to any household that the cricket is on... And people are half watching. The minute it goes to, there's oh, there's a review here. Everyone's watching. No, admit there's a wicket. Everyone's watching. <clears throat> everyone's watching after a wicket. But I'm saying if there's a if there's a, a big appeal for LBW and it's given not out, and suddenly the um, the, the the fielding team reviews it, the the next few seconds the entire room is suddenly stopped and yeah. watching. And I agree that they can go on too long sometimes trying to see if there's an inside edge. Oh, so I'm all it for will, and it will. If you think that we can do it quickly, you can't. It will go on and then it'll be like, now we need to improve DRS and we need to get five more camera angles and we need to look at it for five more minutes. It and why won't is be a hotspot in the big bag? Eyes and hotspot, exactly. It'll just end up being like, it'll just take all the fun out of it and become this fucking anal game. <laughs> Aren't all tries this year of the NRL going to be compulsorily going to the bunker? 
don't get me started. <laughs> no, but they're actually, the way they actually are doing that is kind of how Menas was suggesting, where that's going to be quietly reviewed and then only pulled back if there is actually a problem. But I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not for reviewing shit all the time. I don't like any Hawkeye in tennis. Like, I, you don't like Hawkeye in tennis? I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. You know, I just sort of sometimes I do question when I see something and I think, geez, that looked real out and it's really, and I'm like, how accurate is this? Very accurate. That's why you need Hawkeye because your well, eyes got it wrong. Once upon a time, Paul, the brightest people in the world thought it was flat. So I do no, question this technology. That's a misnomer. That the, the world has known to be around for far longer than people think. There's been thousands of years before people thought the world was flat. Point. There are plenty <laughs> of Trump supporters who think the world is still flat. Don't you worry about that. Um, well, we're going to go around in circles on this one. Uh, but I hope they institute something next year because I think it's actually unfair on the umpires now. You cannot have all the endless replays and putting their performance under the microscope and not giving them anything to help. Um, I, I, I agree with that. And I also think that it, it has reached the point now where – I remember when Runout first came in, the, 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 the review for Runout, and I remember uh, Michael Slater was interviewed and they asked him, what's your, the thing you li- like least about cricket? And he said, oh, the third umpire reviews for Runout takes the human element out of the game. And there was a long group of people who agreed with that. But it got to a point where now if you took out the Runout one and people said, this is – this is wrong. Like it's part of the game. I think that now that the 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 the, um, the IPL has it, and that it's sort of become part of the furniture. I think the longer we go without it, it will start to look more and more like an outlier. I'm really curious how you're going to go with the the DRS and the Big Bash next season, Jaleesa. I think you'll enjoy it, actually. (laughs) Well, they've got to get enough money and argue over who's going to pay for it. They're going to have it. They will definitely have it. Uh, Can we put a bet on it? Well, we can put a bet on it, and. Whatever you want to bet. Whatever um, I want to bet. Yeah, because I know I'm going to win, so I'm ready. Oh, the deeds <laughs> to the castle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or yours. Get rid of the, the drinks break. Um, get rid of the two drinks breaks that occupy two minutes of meaningless time, and then you'll um, you, we'll satisfy both. Both. My only The only way I think DRS could kind of work, but I still think it'll take the fun out of it when you're at the game, is because you do have a lot more chatting on the mics, so I think that could fill some of the dead air that's going to inevitably come. But, but I, they'll play the umpire's voice over the but, um, over the stereo at the ground. And there'll be music. Boring. There'll be music, Boring. dancing. Gee, oh, wow, I get to listen to Kiss cam. I get to listen to the umpire's I mean, bring, voice? Bring oh, back kiss sign cam. me up. That's been the greatest tragedy of COVID, no kiss cam. Kiss cam. Oh, I like the Lion King one. You didn't, mm, you know, didn't see that one. You, what? It was like three times in the final. They busy. played Lion King and people the, held their kids the, up. The I tried to get my friend to hold in me up. In the middle. <laughs> All right, we'll take uh, another break. That was the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. After the break, we're going to be joined by Merv Hughes. Unfortunately, Paul couldn't make it for that interview, so it's just me and Jaleesa. Or Lisa. Uh, <laughs> but You'll see. I, I just want to let you know that next week we're not – uh, releasing a, a show, but we will be re-releasing our special winter series of interviews we did during the lockdown last year. And there's some great guests, so we think there's a lot of value in re-releasing them. Jai Richardson, Ben McDermott, Marcus Harris, Trent Copeland, and one of my favourites, Wes Agar. So stay tuned for them next week. And after the break, Swerve and Mervin. <laughs> Mervyn. 
Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here with Jaleesa Apps. And we have a special guest on the phone now. He was just inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Merv Hughes took 212 test wickets at an average of 28.38. He's an absolute legend and he was one of my favourite cricketers growing up. Merv, welcome to the show. Must have been a real thrill to get the call up into the Hall of Fame. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Lisa, how are you? Um, yeah, listen, it, it, was, it, was a, it was really overwhelming and um, just blown away by it. So I, I found out in November, uh, they rang me and, and told me that I was going to be inducted in February. And then they told me to keep it quiet. And to be honest, that was the hardest thing to do. Um, you just wanted to tell everyone. And then um, no dinner this year. So we had um, the presentation at the MCG in front of Bay 13. So that in itself was pretty special. Uh, Merv, how is it to keep it quiet? How did you How did you do that? I would have been telling everyone. Oh, exactly. I wanted to tell everyone. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty tough, to be honest. Um, it, it was a huge thrill. And, and when you get news like that, um, yeah, you just want to tell everyone. But uh, I, I told my family, obviously, um, and and I, I've been sort of getting whacked by a few mates that I, I didn't sort of tell them. I said, well, mate, if I'd have told you, you would have told everyone. Yeah. So <laughs> I got told to keep quiet. You just do what you're told to do. Man. Exactly. So, Merv, one, one of the great memories I have as a kid watching cricket is the way you played the game. I mean, you were so passionate. You, you always put in not just 100%, but 1,000%. But also, you, you wanted to entertain the fans. I mean, where did that sort of um, side of your play come from? Oh, I think just growing up. So I, was, I was always um, brought up to, to show my emotions. And um, Dad was a, a, um, a sportsman around the place. And probably could have done a little bit more with his sport, but he was a, a school teacher, so uh, moved around the country areas and, and played a lot of country sport. Um, and he always instilled in me that if you're going to play, you play to win. And if you if you don't win, uh, there's no shame in losing, but don't ever give up. So I know you put all those things together, and um, the enjoyment I had playing for, for the Australian side, for the Victorian side, for Footscray, for for before I went down the foot, so I just, I just love the game. Um, so yeah, show people that you're enjoying yourself, and um, it just, I think one of the big things I learned as a young bloke when I first went down to Footscray was work hard in the easy times, and it becomes easy in the hard times. So I used to work really hard at training, and in the game situation, um, never really seemed that hard to be honest. I think it actually is a little bit undervalued how hard your era worked, especially under, you know, Alan Border and Bob Simpson. I mean, I mean you trained exceptionally hard and you party hard. Um, yeah, without doubt. Um, now, I suppose it's a, it's a lot different now because we we had time. So we had a starting point, the finishing point for the cricket season, and the starting point was start of October, finishing was end of March, and then you'd have three months off. So you'd have a, a physical and mental break and then just jump back into the next season. And probably as as I got into my career, that that time frame lessened. Um, so I do feel for the, the players playing today when they've got to be up and about for, for 12 months of the year. So they come off one tour, uh, they go straight to another tour. Like, they finished the Indian tour here and they were supposed to go to South Africa. 
Um, and that's being cancelled in itself, maybe a blessing in disguise for the Australian boys because they have had a, a pretty tough run for the last probably two years, to be honest. Merv, you were just uh, talking then about um, how tough it is to, to get up repeatedly for tours for the players today is do you also think it's maybe a, harder to be a player today because you're always um on to the media as well like you're always an ambassador for the game oh that that in itself is, is tough work that's more the mental side of it than the physical side of it and it does take its toll and it's not so much for the media it's for the social media now is mm. that um, everyone has a high expectations and everyone. Basically, everyone's got a phone, so everyone's a journalist. If you if you do something wrong, um, if you if you seem in a bad light at any stage, it just throws, um, you know, it, it throws a, a, a black mark or a blanket over the, the, the game, the entire game. Mm. So oh, I really feel sorry for the players today in that they virtually have no life of their own, and that they're they're always in the public eye. And now, when I played, happy days, scrutinise what I do on the ground, but Towards the end of it, it just got into your private and personal life. Mm. Uh, and I, I didn't really cope too well, well with that, to be honest. But these days, um, it just seems to be the norm in, in all sports. Everyone wants to know what Steve Smith um, is doing, what he does in his social time, um, you know, who he goes out with and all that. He's a cricketer. Let's just judge him on, on the fact that he's a damn good cricketer. Um, he's worked really hard. He's been... The backbone of the Australian side, and let's love him for that. Let's let's not delve into his private life. Yeah, I mean, you would have been, uh, you know, really loved on social media had it been around because <laughs> you know there, there weren't many players in your area that had such a strong connection with the fans. But I mean, you really built up such a connection with the fans right around the country. Oh, when you when you feel on the fence, you you can have a, a real connection <laughs> with the crowd. There's no doubt about that. So. Um, in front of base 13 at the MCG was special, but uh, down at, at Fine Legal Third Man at, at Sydney, um, the old Sydney Oval in front of the hill, um, uh, the support you got down there. Always enjoyed myself in Perth. Um, and, and the South Australian fans were great. Right you go up to Queensland, it didn't matter where we went, um, because we're members of the Australian cricket team. Um, the, the guys loved us. But I'll tell you what, if I went to the Wacker playing for Victoria, or I played at the Gabba playing for Victoria, uh, their, their mood changed just a little bit. <laughs> I think that hasn't changed. Um, how did you go with um, Captain Grumpy, Alan Border? What was your relationship like? Oh, mate, Alan Border was fantastic. And only the people that didn't know him uh, referred to him as Ca- Captain Grumpy. Um, he, he didn't really get on well with the media. And to, to be fair, uh, the media, when he first took over the captaincy, really got stuck into him. Um, and I can remember having a talk to him. Just, I reckon it would have been in the 89-90 season or the 90-91 season in Adelaide. Um, we spent a few nights between um, Tess. I think there was a, we had something in, in WA and a few boys flew home and we flew to Adelaide. And I remember sitting down having a beer with him saying, why why don't you give them the media anything? He said, mate, I don't have to go to me anything. Um, and probably... Towards the end, it cost him a bit. If he had been a little bit more media friendly, he may have played a, a little bit longer because they would have looked after him. But, mate, to a man, everyone that played under him loved him because he defended us. So he, he got he got dubbed Captain Grumpy because someone would be criticising a player within the team and Alan Border would, would stick up for that player. And 
uh, very much a player's man, not a media man. And as I said, every player that played under him to a man loved it, loved AB. Amazing. Now, uh, one thing that was um, noted when the press release for your induction is that you were part of the sort of shift in Australian cricket and the resurgence. Uh, there was a sort of story floating around from the 88-89 season where uh, the late manager Ian McDonald and a few of you all sort of got together and thought, we've just got to stop letting the West Indies walk all over us. I mean, did, do you remember that season? Uh, it probably happened the season before, to be honest, in, in Melbourne. Um, Alan Border took a, a tough line. We'd just been beaten by England at the MCG. And I think it was inside three days. Um, oh, wow. So we just got absolutely pounded. And, and AB just threw, threw a line in the sand there and, and just said, right, I'm sick of being seen as a nice guy and losing. I'd rather be seen as a prick and win some games. Um, and uh, I, I just think he dragged everyone with him and, and certainly against the West Indies the next year um, and particularly after Jeff, Jeff Lawson got got hit by Kurt Ambrose, uh, the attitude of the players in the team just tra- changed dramatically. And we took a leaf out of, out of the, when I say we, Alan Border as captain, took a leaf out of the West Indies book, is that you go very hard at the opposition captain and you go hard at the tail. Because ultimately, if the bottom four get 50, 60 runs between them, that could be the difference in the game. And, and that's what was happening um, for, for a little while. So... Um, we just became quite ruthless. And, and Alvin Border uh, led the way, um, set, set the rules in place. 89, um, it was no wives in the hotel on tour. So all the married blokes kicked up. All the single blokes were pretty happy with it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, but like AB said, it, when, when you've got the, the family there, um, it, it splits the team. And also for a player with young kids, you're in a hotel room. So if one of the kids has a bad night, you don't get any sleep. And that's, that's what he referred to in the, when he was being asked about it. He said, name, name another professional that takes his wife on a business trip. And this is where we're away to play cricket. We're not away for a holiday. And he just felt that previous trips had been a, a little bit of a holiday more than um, the boys tuned in to play cricket. So he made some tough decisions along the way. Um, he upset a few people along the way, but uh, by and large, the players that played under him um, understood what he was doing and, and just supported him 100%. Well, it worked out. I'll never forget that ticker tape parade through Sydney when you came back with the Ashes in 89. <laughs> Must have been a thrill for you guys. Oh, mate, that's, that's what we said. You're sitting in the car and you're going down the street. We're, we're all sort of sitting there thinking, how many, this is going to be embarrassing. There's going to be about three people and a dog sitting there just, oh, yeah, well done, boys. And we, we came around at the, the corner onto that main street and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Well, I, I didn't know that many people lived in Australia, let alone Sydney. <laughs> and to, to have a look at the crowd, have a look at the sport and also what, what overwhelmed me is what cricket meant to a lot of people in Australia. So by winning the Ashes um, and getting that, that um, crowd support away from the game, it was just... Well, the, the whole team were just blown away. So we, we got to the end of the parade. We got on the a boat. We had a, um, a cruise around Sydney Harbour that afternoon. So firstly, out of the cars, onto the boat, out onto Sydney Harbour. And I don't reckon a, any player said a word for about an hour, hour and a half. We just sat there just looking at each other. Like, Can you believe that? <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. So, uh, and that was just Sydney. I reckon it, 
if we had to go to a parade in, in each capital city, it, it would have been uh, pretty much the same. But that that was something special, something I'll never forget. Hey, Merv, I'm curious, um, how much cricket do you consume now, particularly the newer forms of the game like the T20 and the Big Bash? Do you sort of sit down and, and watch everything you can? Because I notice when I talk to a lot of cricketers and actually a lot of sports people in general, they don't actually consume a lot of the sport that they play. Like I know Steve Smith doesn't like watching cricket and a few rugby league players don't like watching rugby league. Do you sit down still and watch it? Um, I, I watch the Australian side play, test cricket particularly. Um, one day cricket, a little bit interested in, um, at international level with 2020 cricket, um, probably when the world, world cup comes around, it'll be particularly interesting, but I, I just like the, the one day cricket leading into the world cup mm. and there was like the 2020 world cup coming in. So it's just interesting to see what Australia does with the side and, um, the shield cricket, I, I follow the shield cricket when I was selecting, obviously I, I followed a lot closer, um, but I wouldn't say I've got my finger on the pulse, but I wouldn't say that I don't follow it. Because it's not on TV, it's hard. Yeah. It's uh, the big bat game. Um, I love watching that, and not so much for the result of the game, but uh, having said that, I am a renegade supporter. But um, having, um, it's, more, it's more for um, identification, identification of creators. So and a couple of years ago, we see this guy, Richardson, coming through, and we think, have a look at him, he's something special. Yeah. And Cameron Green's come through and you, you look at him and you think he's something special. So to have it on free to air, to be able to watch domestic cricket on free to air, albeit 2020, I do watch a lot of it. But as I said, not for the results, just for the players playing. So, you know, to see Aaron Finch um, plays played at, at the Renegades and Uzman Kalaja at Thunder and uh, to watch Chris Lynn go out the bat for, for Brisbane. You know, things like that. Yes, I suppose I watch players within the teams rather than the actual team. Right. I, I did notice that you jumped on the Shield coverage and the Test coverage over the summer. It was great to hear you commentating again. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to be involved with the hub they had in, in Adelaide. So we're in a studio in Melbourne and, and just commentating on that. And uh, that's the I just loved it. People say, don't you get bored watching Shield cricket? Never get bored watching Shield cricket. Um, purest form of the game. And, what people don't understand about a four-day first-class game, so Sheffield Shield cricket or a chess match, is that you mightn't be good enough to win, but you can be good enough to stop the other team from winning. And if you if you do that, you do get some credit. So you know, what we've seen with India um, during the, the test series here is in Sydney. Uh, I think everyone expected bowlers for us to bowl them out in the last day. And, and the fight that they showed in Sydney was superb. And then set up that game in Brisbane and not only bat through the day but get the run so you, know, you, you just grow from that so to be part of that, the commentary team for um, ABC Radio for the Melbourne Test match it, it was it was great because I, I normally go to maybe one or two games uh, days of the game and then come home and watch it on TV but to, to be there, in there each day and, and following it closely um, mate, it, was, it was just a real thrill I, I, I've just got Huge admiration for the current players. To watch the bowlers go um, about their their work is fantastic. And you know when you think you got that Jason uh, Joe Richardson in the in the wings and um, Patterson and Nessa and then these guys, um, the the boys at the top level know that they've, they've got to perform. And you know always great watching Steve Smith back. Um, he's got some nervous energy and. 
They just love the way he goes about it. And yeah, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a real Davey Warner fan. Um, I'd like to see him get back on the board and and uh, do well going forward. So hopefully, if this um, tour to South Africa gets up, um, he, he can find his form and, and do really well and, and help lead this range to a win. Yeah, let's hope so. Now, last couple before I let you go. Now, looking back at your, your career, is there any sort of bowling spell or bowling day that stands out for you just when you were really at the peak of your bowling powers? Oh, probably a tough one. You don't really think about it. Um, well, I suppose the, the better you're bowling, the less you're thinking about it, to be honest. <laughs> if, if you're playing against the West Indies and you're thinking about where the bowl is, it means that you're getting hit a bit. Um, but I, I suppose there's, there's a couple of spells um, that, that come to mind. And um, a spell where, really, I only took the one wicket, but in the Lord's Test of 89, um, Smith and Gower in the second innings were getting on top. And um, bowled a, a spell to David Gower and, and, fin- and ended up getting him out. Um, he, he got 123. We won the game, but... Um, just little things like that, that that you know that you work hard for a wicket and and you got the reward. Um, that that's very satisfying. I probably tend to look at spells from other bowlers. Um, and mate, the one I, I go back to is that that spell of Shane Warne in the second innings of the Boxing Day Test match against the West Indies, ninety two ninety three. Um, we got seven wickets in that, and West Indies I, I reckon went from about one for hundred and eighty to to all out. About two fifty chasing three thirty. So, you know, things like that. You probably don't dwell on on your own performance. I, I like to to reminisce of of the other guys' spells. And, and Shane Warne had that many of them. You could name any one of them. Paul Rifle um, a couple of times in '93. Uh, Brendan Dooley in the same in '93. And the opening bowls I bowled with Craig McDermott, uh, Mike Whitney, Bruce Reed. Remember a spell by Bruce Reed against England. At the MCD, uh, another Boxing Day Test match. Bold like the wind. Oh, mate, it, it was it was awesome. Um, ran in, bold like the wind, and probably deserved to take all ten wickets. Yeah, I remember uh, speaking of that worn performance. He bowled a flipper to Richie Richardson that just completely bamboozled yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, mate. It, they show the highlights and. Um, the, the two balls that come to, to mind of Shane Warne was was that flipper. Um, and also that first ball to, to Mike Gatting, his first ball on, on English soil. Um, so when, when I think of Shane Warne, I think of that. And the third ball um, would be his hat-trick ball where David Boone took that magnificent catch. Um, also at the MCG, it's funny that a, a lot of things seem to happen at the G. <laughs> that was an amazing day. Now, I remember um, a famous partnership you and Dean Jones put on 114, the Adelaide Oval at 80, in 88, 89, and you made 72. And I remember in the paper the next day, they had a picture showing all the bruises on your body and you'd been hit from head to toe and they had them all highlighted out. Um, is that one of sort of your, the batting highlights of your career? Um, yeah, not, not, probably not so much for the 72. The fact that I got to the wicket when Dino was about 70, so 30 runs to 170, sorry, so 30 runs short of a double 100. And Bob Simpson was always adamant that if we batted with a batsman, don't get out playing a stupid shot, let the batsman score the runs you hang around. But if you're batting with someone um, below you, um, play a few shots because you're not out there for long and 
I probably had more satisfaction with uh, the knowledge that um, I went in batting number 10 um, and got Dino across the, the line to, to his 200. And, um, used as night watchman a few times, but probably just piling myself on, on 50 partnership with batsmen. And I night watchman a, a couple of times and, and batted with Mark Taylor. And there's a big partnership with Steve War in the Ashes in England, 89, the first series where he did 177. So, they're, they're probably the things that I look back at more satisfied. And again, it's not, not a personal achievement. It's, it's just um, having, I suppose, the, the ability, for want of a better word, to, to stand at the other end and watch these blokes bat. And you, you just think it's a bowl. Which is, I'd hate to be bowling to these guys today. Yeah, I remember you just never gave your wicket away. It was... Um Inspiring stuff. Well, Merv, it's been such a thrill to have you on the podcast. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame uh, induction. It's so fantastic, and uh, thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Merv. No worries, Will. Thanks for having us on, Lisa. Sorry to cut you off, darling. So thanks for having us on. And yeah, as I said, just absolutely blown away by um, the, the Hall of Fame. Um, just absolutely stoked. And, and to be in with that caliber group, um, yeah, it's very humbling. Well, you brought a lot of joy to fans all around the country and you continue to do so. So take care and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Great stuff from Merv Hughes. We'll be back after the break with viewer mail and Paul returns. And we're back. It's the Cricket Unfiltered <laughs> Podcast. Jeez, that was great to have Merv on. I used to love him as a kid, and he was always so great to the fans. He was always so great to the fans. So great to see him in there. Now, speaking of fans, we've got a review from Norway. Do you want to read this one out, Paul? Yep. This Norway, is from, that's <clears throat> cool. This was from JJPBH. The best cricket podcast. Absolutely love the show. The last one really got me fired up. Manus should have been told, your stomach or your team. They all had a lunch break. If he wanted another cheese toady, toasty, eat it first and then come onto the pitch. Really, Marnus, schoolboy stuff. Shocking behaviour. I stand with Marnus. I just want to say thank you to <clears throat> JJPBH. Norway is one of my favourite countries. I have been uh, a couple of times. Really? Love it. Really? And a little anecdote. Went to Tromso right up the north of Norway where they have the midnight sun. Uh, the sun did not set. We played golf from midnight till about 2am uh, and the sun was blazing the whole time. The northernmost golf course in the world. Uh, it, it didn't help that my friend took 22 shots on the first hole because it was quite difficult. Uh, so, yeah, Norway, uh, can't recommend that country highly enough if anyone wants to visit. Well, thanks, Paul. We're in a pandemic, but... <laughs> well, sure, you know. <laughs> I, I would like to in go 2024, to maybe. I would love to go to Norway. Yeah, but thanks so much for that review from Norway. Well, dramas in the Cricket Unfiltered studio. Just after reading that review out from Norway, we lost power in the studio. So there's been a, a bit of a delay between that bit of the recording and now. And in that gap, unfortunately, Jaleesa Apps had to leave us. So Paul and I are going to bring this ship home with Can't Let It Go. Paul, what's your little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper? Well, reflecting back on the Australia-India series, obviously it was a uh, very disappointing for us as Australian fans, but I found a positive and I was just happen happening to look through uh, how Cricket Unfiltered has been performing in various different countries around the world. And I couldn't help but notice that just after that test match, we rose to number four for Cricket Podcasts in India. 
And number seven for all sport podcasts in India, which I think delightfully shows how popular cricket is in India, but also that we were the 190th podcast in India of all topics. So uh, if you're an Indian fan and you've uh, started to listen to us as a result of of that series and you wanted to kind of enjoy the pain of a a couple of Australians or three Australians talking about the series, and if you've stuck on listening, thank you very much. Um, I hope you did enjoy um, our agony in the way that we reviewed that series. Yes, hello India, and of course we're available for IPL commentary if if required, uh, definitely, Paul. And IPL um, contracts as well. I mean, if, if, if Rajasthan Royals needs a couple of all-rounders, then... Um. Well, that's right. If Tom Brady can do it, so can we. Uh, just on the international theme, we were also the number one cricket podcast in Switzerland in the last week, and um, as we know, they're neutral in everything, so they just love cricket. Exactly. Um, uh, one more I've got. Yeah, um, you've got more, sorry. Just one more. Uh I don't know about you, but as a youngster, I heard, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard, that um, thing that opens up your mind to the universe, the notion that there are more stars in the sky than grains of sand on the earth. And it's sort of the thing that you think, wow, think of how many grains of sand there are. There are more stars in the sky. That's truly kind of um, mind-expanding. Well, Shane Warne came across this topic um, the other day because it was sent out on on Twitter. And Shane Warne's take on it, he quote-tweeted it and said, that can't be true, surely. Um, and then a few minutes later, P.S. So who's counted the grains of sand, please? And I just find that illuminating for two reasons. One, surely it's the the, the stars that's more difficult to count than the grains of sand. <laughs> and two, I think it just reflects a cricketer's mindset of like, you know, come on, guys, um, let, let's not let's not get silly here. So um, a few people try to say, Shane, you know, we, you could actually estimate it, and he said rubbish. So. <laughs> All right, well, I've got a few can't let it goes this week. The first one was the the very first Australian player we had on the podcast was inducted into the Hall of Fame, Lisa Stalaker, who captained Australia and won four World Cups, became the fourth female into the Hall of Fame. And, Paul, I know I come across as a heartless prick most of the time, <laughs> but I actually welled up a bit when I heard this news because Lisa's uh, – you know, been so great to me, and she does so much for the game. And I've seen what she's done up close at all levels. Uh, I just think this is a great, great induction. Definitely, hundred percent. Congratulations, Lisa. All right. So my other um, can't let it goes for this week. Uh, well, firstly, Elise Perry has turned out for Victoria in the WNCL. So the first time Elise Perry is playing against her beloved New South Wales Breakers team. So that's going to be interesting to watch. While you're listening to this, they probably would have played the first game already, and the second game will be upcoming. And uh, the the final. Um, little bit of can't let it go news I have is I did some commentary on Monday at North Sydney Oval for the Women's Regional Bash. Now, I hadn't heard of this competition, but it just made me really pleased with the support that New South Wales cricket gives to the regional areas. And I'm sure it happens all around the country, but the fact that they put on a 20-over tournament with these teams in the light of the whole COVID situation, still got them to Sydney, still gave them their big day um, under lights at the SCG for the men and North Sydney over for the women. I just think that is a real show of how much New South Wales invests in all levels of cricket. And there's, there's no... There's no doubt to me why they're the most successful team at the moment in the country or the state winning the men's and the women's Big Bash and the Shield because of this kind of support. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent support. As you say, in, in difficult times, it would have been, would have been very easy to cancel something like that this year. And I'm telling you, these there were some players there in the women's teams that were, you know, 13, 14, 15 playing in these teams. They will never forget that day at North Sydney Oval. Uh, there was a young spinner called Jade Allen who, who, who actually bowls like Shane Warner, drifts in and spins away. So I just hope um, it inspires some of them to keep going with the game and kudos to New South Wales cricket for sticking with it and not just, as you say, shelving it mm. amid tough circumstances. All right, well, that's it for Can't Let It Go, and that's it for the podcast this week. As I said earlier, we're not going to be releasing a new episode next week. It's going to be uh, re-releases of our winter series interviews from last year, and I think you should listen to them if you haven't already. Yeah, they're good. I enjoyed doing them, and um, they're kind of timeless as well. They, they, they age pretty well, I reckon. And uh, just if you haven't gone on, we're releasing segments on YouTube. So hit Cricket Unfiltered in YouTube and subscribe. Uh, Also head on to our TikTok page, Cricket Unfiltered. We're on Instagram and Twitter as Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod. And uh, just to end the show, I called a six on the weekend. I was commentating at Manly Oval and Sydney Thunder played Jay Lenton, hit one out of the ground. And it was a pretty funny clip. So we'll play that to um, end the show. Thanks, listeners. Back in two weeks. Fortunately, there's no one really playing on the tennis court, so I'll be safe there. But I think there's no, the lawn bowl green's empty. So, look, I think if you're around man, the oval, the ball's disappearing. Here he is, near into Lenton. Down the track, and that's six. That's straight over the top onto Sydney Road. And it's hit a car. Oh, I think it's hit a car. What a way to bring up your 50. Lenton's 54. Kookaburra's disappearing into the traffic and it's...